0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, Interim Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Today, we're joined by Dr. Paul Gennetto, the Director of our Clinical and Forensic Toxicology Laboratories at Mayo Clinic here in Rochester, Minnesota. Dr. Gennetto, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: My pleasure. Happy to be here.
0: So we are hearing a lot about the opioid crisis in the news. Can you give us an overview on the current state of the opioid crisis in the United States and its impact on public health?
1: Sure. So the United States has been experiencing an opioid crisis since the mid-1990s, when pharmaceutical companies reassured the medical community that patients would not become addicted to pain relievers. Professional membership organizations actually published consensus statements on the use of opioids for persistent pain, and healthcare providers began to prescribe them at greater rates. The increased prescription of opioid medications then led to the widespread misuse both prescription and non-prescription opioids before it became clear that all these medications really could be highly addictive. And opioids ended up having a very significant impact on public health and the nation's economic and social outcomes. In 2017, the US Department of Health and Human Services then actually declared the opioid crisis a public health emergency. Unfortunately, today we're seeing the nation's overdose death involving opioids amongst all ages and genders rise from over 21,000 back in 2010 to now over 80,000 in 2021, according to CDC and the National Center for Health Statistics. The overdose crisis continues to evolve over time and now is largely characterized by deaths involving illicitly manufactured synthetic opioids like fentanyl Mm. and increasingly stimulants like methamphetamine.
0: Oh, it's so unfortunate and so overwhelming for some parts of our societies. So you are in charge of the laboratory that performs testing for opioids. So what roles do testing and screening programs play in identifying opioid addiction and maybe even preventing overdose fatalities?
1: Well, according to the American Society of Addiction Medicine, urine drug tests are recommended to assess drug use and confirm adherence to therapy but are not a diagnostic test for addiction. Okay. Drug testing should not be relied upon as the sole measures of a patient's substance use. However, it should be integrated widely into addiction treatment settings during the initial assessment of a patient and then randomly throughout to monitor the effectiveness of the treatment plan. Urine drug tests are basically used to guide and monitor treatment and recovery as part of the routine medical care for people being treated for addiction. It's not meant to be punitive, but rather a tool to support recovery and provide motivation and reinforcement for abstinence. In fact, drug testing has often been referred to as the technology of addiction treatment.
0: Interesting. Well, that's very helpful have there been any advancements in medical technology and and testing methodologies and have the advancements influenced the way we approach and manage the opioid crisis?
1: Definitely. As technology has advanced specifically around instrumentation, we've really moved away from traditional immunoassay screening methods and now use more mass spectrometry based methods. Immunoassays generally suffer from a lack of specificity and sensitivity. So if you get a positive result on an amino assay, you then have to reflex to a confirmatory or definitive method causing increased testing costs and a delay in turnaround time of the results. Well, amino assays can provide a rapid and cost-effective result. They also can produce false positive or false negative results. Furthermore, if you get a positive result, it only really tells you a preliminary indication of what drug class might be present versus the specific identity of the drug. So you wouldn't know if a positive opiate amino assay was due to a prescribed morphine or if the patient was using heroin, since both can cause the assay to give a positive result. I see. Instead, we are now using high resolution, accurate mass spectrometry based targeted screening tests to identify individual drugs within these large classes of controlled substances like opioids, diazepines and stimulants. For example, we use liquid chromatography coupled to high resolution accurate mass spectrometry to detect 33 unique opioids, parent drug, and the metabolites in our targeted opioid panel. This enables us to improve test utilization by specifically identifying individual drugs and minimizing unnecessary and costly confirmatory testing while improving the turnaround time of the results. Since we can also detect both the parent and the metabolite, we can also identify samples that have been adulterated or spiked with the parent drug to simulate compliance. It also provides the specificity and sensitivity, so the lower detection limits needed to determine if a patient is adherent to opioid or controlled substance therapy. In the past to get the same coverage of the drug classes, you would actually have to run over six different immunoassays, and it still wouldn't cover all the compounds we could now do in one new test with this new technology.
0: Wow. Yeah, it sounds like the field is really advanced since I learned about this way back when. And boy, you would hate to get a false positive or a false negative If you're trying to manage someone's opioid use, for example, or if you were that patient getting a false positive, that could be quite concerning. So it's good to hear that the tests have improved so much. Now, are there personalized testing approaches for individuals that are struggling with opioid addiction?
1: Unfortunately, many clinicians are still unnecessarily ordering these large panels of analytes. Back in 2017, the American Society of Addiction Medicine consensus statement came out that actually recommended some examples of appropriate or personalized drug testing practices. And these include things like ordering drug testing panels based on the patient's drug of choice, their prescribed medication, and drugs commonly used in the patient's geographic location or peer group. Providers need to understand the advantages and disadvantages of each matrix. For example, do you use urine or serum before considering rotational strategies? Presumptive testing still should be a part of routine initial and ongoing patient assessment, but sometimes definitive testing needs to be done, especially when the results are going to inform decisions with major clinical or non-clinical implications for the patient, like treatment transition or changes in medication therapies, or if a patient disputes the findings. And when making patient care decisions, providers really need to consider all relevant factors surrounding a case, rather than making a decision solely based on the result of a single drug test. In fact, they went on to say that it was recommended that physicians should consult with the laboratory director or medical review officer for guidance and interpretation, and that's something we're always here at Mayo Clinic to help assist clinicians interpret the test correctly. And lastly, the frequency of testing really should be dictated by patient acuity and the level of a care in the addiction treatment. But typically, this means more frequently at the initial phases of addiction therapy and then occur more randomly throughout treatment. Overall, the goal for appropriate or individualized laboratory testing is to not identify every drug technologically possible, but to do medically necessary testing for those drugs that are most likely to impact clinical outcomes.
0: Well, that makes sense, Dr. Ginetto, And I really liked what you said about the role of the laboratory director, the subject, matter experts that could provide that level of consultation. That's what we're here for. And that's why it's so important for us, too, to have close working relationships with our providers that are ordering these tests, like you do, so that they know that you're a trusted voice. They can call you up and ask your guidance. Because it sounds like with the advancements in testing, there probably comes some complexities. Larger panel, single analytes. So thank you for serving in that role and helping to guide our colleagues on the right test order and how to interpret the results when they get them. So, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the testing options that we provide our healthcare partners through Mayo Clinic Laboratories.
1: Sure. Here at Mayo Clinic, we have several different controlled substance monitoring profiles that we offer our physicians and clients. For example, we have our CSMPU or Controlled Substance Monitoring Profile which was developed by the Clinical and Forensic Toxicology Lab here at Mayo Clinic and is consistent with laboratory medicine practice guidelines that were established by the American Association for Clinical Chemistry and endorsed by the American Academy of Pain Medicine. It's a basic profile that's really good for general controlled substance monitoring and pain management patients. We also have our CSMEU, which is our controlled substance monitoring enhanced profile, it has all the same components as our CSMPU, but we also add ethylglucuronide. This is a direct alcohol biomarker. Since ethanol is the most commonly abused drug in the world, and okay. excessive alcohol use is a leading preventable cause of death in the United States. In fact, over 50% of the adult population drinks regularly and up to 10% of the general population suffer from alcoholism. And routine screening and behavioral intervention for alcohol misuse is actually one of the most cost-effective clinical preventive strategies that's actually recommended by the US Preventative Services Task Force. And we also have our ADMPU or addiction medicine profile, which again includes all the components of our CSMPU Along with the ethyl the direct alcohol biomarker, but we also added nicotine and and metabolites uh, in the urine, hmm. since along with alcohol, tobacco is, use disorders are also very common, and both yeah. ethanol and nicotine are highly addictive substances. In the end, we also offer a whole assortment of individualized or individual test components for controlled substance monitoring, so that ultimately, the provider can order the appropriate testing that is required for each of their patients.
0: Well, that's really helpful. And some interesting facts. I guess you're right, ethanol and nicotine. And I guess I wouldn't be surprised if they go together in a lot of situations. So we have these great tests. They're available. They're good. They're accurate. There's a variety of options. What would you say are some of the key challenges and barriers then in implementing effective testing strategies within communities that are really struggling with opioid addiction and the opioid crisis?
1: One key challenge is really remote or rural health settings, Mm -hmm. where it may be challenging for patients to drive over 50 miles to the nearest healthcare collection facility for specimen collection and laboratory testing. In these settings, providers are typically looking for point of care screening tests or other at home collection strategies like oral fluid, which could then be mailed back to the lab. Another key challenge is still appropriate laboratory utilization. Since every patient is unique, the analytes tested and the frequency of testing is going to vary. You don't need to order every test or test for every drug possible, or even those that people commonly see in the media, like xylazine. You actually may recall back in November of 2022, the FDA warned all healthcare professionals about the possibility of xylazine, which is an animal sedative um, that was being found in up to 25% of the fentanyl, heroin, and other illicit drug overdoses. Wow! And so as a result, healthcare providers need to consider potential xylazine exposure when a patient presents with signs and symptoms of an opioid overdose and doesn't respond to naloxone. But in these situations, healthcare professionals just need to provide supportive care. Lastly, another challenge that we see is insurance coverage and reimbursement of controlled substance monitoring tests. As the AMA definitive drug class list, the CPT codes and G codes don't accurately reflect the actual laboratory analysis and costs required to measure these drugs. And so if government or third-party payers deny or don't cover these tests, it can put additional financial challenges on the patient. And of course, the decreasing reimbursement is already a challenge for laboratories
0: to perform these tests. Yeah. And Dr. Gennetto, I don't know if you were going to touch on the recent policy of CMS, the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services, we've been talking about this, Dr. Maurice and I, about how they recently implemented a policy that restricts payment when both presumptive and definitive testing are billed together for the same patient on the same day of services. But that seems like a huge problem, because if you're doing a presumptive, say, screening test, and then you want to confirm the results with a so-called definitive test, wouldn't you normally do it on the same day from the same specimen collection?
1: Exactly. And so that is exactly the scenario that's causing additional challenges because the last thing you want to do, if you you had a presumptive positive on a test, you don't want to go back to the patient who may be misusing or abusing drugs and say, now I need to collect another sample on a different date because now they're going to have time to quote, not use and then test negative. You want to actually take that specimen that was collected on the day when you got the original presumptive positive and take that sample to the definitive or confirmatory test. And so this new ruling does not make any sense and goes against all clinical practice guidelines.
0: Yeah, I know that ACLA and other professional societies are working to try to engage with Congress and see if we can make these changes. So hopefully that will change in the future. Just, I guess, one more challenge that we have to deal with, but then that we as laboratory leaders need to really be vocal about and advocate for our patients to do what and our providers. Absolutely. Well, you gave us a great overview of all the different tests we offer and some of the challenges, but maybe we could share some success stories or maybe some case studies that really highlight the positive outcomes of these effective testing strategies in combating the opioid crisis.
1: I think the best success stories that I personally witness and one of the major benefits of actually controlled substance monitoring is when it's being used appropriately to confirm compliance or adherence, Mm -hmm. and it identifies those individuals who have an unknown or unidentified substance use disorder. We have to remember, the vast majority of patients have true or real underlying clinical problems And the controlled substances or medications that are being prescribed actually do provide beneficial results to these patients. Instead of just stopping therapy, kicking patients out of the clinic, or having them suffer from an undiscovered substance use disorder, now these patients can be identified so they can be directed into an addiction management program where they can get the treatment and help needed to curb their addiction while continuing to receive the appropriate medication therapy. Ultimately, this type of testing can help prevent these individuals from becoming another opioid epidemic or death statistic.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. That, is, that would be a real success in, in helping our patients, which is what we're here for. So we've touched on this a little bit, but maybe you could tell us a bit more about the role of education and awareness for encouraging individuals to seek testing and treatment or uh, for our providers and, and getting patients to get support for their opioid addiction.
1: Education is extremely important for both patients, providers, and even those payers. Everyone needs to understand that objective tests like laboratory tests in addiction management are needed to identify and evaluate recent drug use or misuse or abuse, set and monitor clinical goals and expectations, and really support and provide motivation and reinforcement for abstinence. In addition, controlled substance monitoring tests need to be interpreted in context of the test. The drugs prescribed, the specimen type, specimen validity test results in the patient. Any unexpected or unexplained result should be discussed with the patient or laboratory director. Mm -hmm. And additional testing performed if needed. Education is one of the most valuable things we offer here at Mayo Clinic for both our internal and external physicians and clients. This is a complicated area, as you already mentioned. We have these large panels. You have complicated metabolic pathways where the parent drug and its metabolite could be a separate prescribable drug. We also have things like pharmaceutical impurities where you can find in, for example, people who have ADHD and taking prescription amphetamine or Adderall there's actually pharmaceutical impurity that you can have a small amount of methamphetamine present. Well, you can imagine if you found methamphetamine, the first thing everybody thinks of is illicit meth use, but it's actually an allowable pharmaceutical purity that we can see in in small amounts because our tests are so sensitive now. So interpreting all of these things is very complicated and that's why we really wanna provide education to our providers so that they have the proper interpretation and can therefore manage their patients appropriately.
0: Yeah, wow, that's fascinating. Again, highlighting the complexities of what we do and why education and consultation is so important. Well, I have one last question for you. As we look to the future, what advancements or trends do you foresee in testing strategies aimed at alleviating the opioid crisis and improving public health outcomes?
1: I definitely see providers using more high-resolution, accurate mass spectrometry targeted screens and individual profiles like those offered here by Mayo Clinic. Because our unique approach to addiction medicine is really consistent with the evidence-based guidelines and was designed to help meet the requirements of providers, while also being mindful of the cost to the patient and the healthcare system. Sure. I also see a lot more opportunities for more at-home or remote collection of alternative matrices like oral fluid or saliva for controlled substance monitoring. Currently. In-office, urine drug testing is the standard objective measure for substance use disorder outcomes. However, it requires the donor to provide a urine sample in a designated facility. We now have the technology and capability to do remote video observed saliva drug testing. And this has several advantages since it can be performed anywhere and anytime the donor can access their smartphone. In addition, most urine drug testing is currently done on observed urine collections, which can be prone to tampering or adulteration, specimen dilution, contamination, or falsification. And while staff observed urine drug testing is a more accurate way to collect a urine sample, it has numerous challenges. Because even if you have a same gender staff member witness an observed in-office collection, it can be embarrassing, intrusive, Mm -hmm. especially for individuals with a history of trauma or even LGBTQ participants. Mm-hmm. And therefore, that's why I really see this remote video observed, you know, oral fluid or saliva drug testing that reduces the risk of adulteration or substitution because it can be collected and sealed under a video observation and be mailed back to the laboratory. It's convenient for the patient, but it's also more compliant with current guidelines and regulations for drug testing, which really emphasize the importance of respecting human rights and ensuring the validity and reliability of test results.
0: Now, that's great. And that's actually really inspiring that we're thinking about these things and really protecting patients' dignity and allowing them to collect an accurate sample that's still meaningful for us and for testing. Well, I learned a lot today. Thank you, Dr. Janetto. This was enlightening and such an important topic. So thank you again for joining me today um, to talk about our opioid crisis and the testing that you're doing in your laboratory.
1: Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.